7, verse 38. And last week, uh, we heard from the well-known, uh, the well-known parable of the Good Samaritan, but what, what Jesus is doing here is he's, he's summarizing the life of the believer with one word. And that word is love. And using the picture of the good Samaritan, this despised half-breed that no good Jew would share a meal with, uh, he uses him as the hero of the story to show us what it means to love our neighbor, what it means to be a neighbor. And now today we're going to meet a woman uh, who shows us what it means to love God. And so those are the those are the two directions of love in the Christian life. If all of the Christian life is defined, is described in that word love, you have loving your neighbor as yourself and loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Today we get a picture of what it looks like to love God. And so if you would, uh, read with me. We're going to be in Mark chapter 10. I'm going to start in verse 38. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's page 869. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Let's ask for his blessing in hearing it this morning. Let's pray. Father, would you teach us what it means to be devoted? It's just as hard to do it now as it was then. And we may be doing many things that we think are devoted to you, but really missing you in the process. So Lord, would you open our eyes and our ears and our hearts. Make us new. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may remember, you may not, but I actually preached this passage back in January when we looked at, uh, when we looked at our church's mission and vision. This is one of the passages we used to talk about worship. Um, but I wanted to revisit again and for one, uh, because of the way that it fits into Luke right here. This is actually the middle of a three-part Series: The first dealing with loving neighbor. This little section, this little small paragraph deals with loving God. And then next, we're going to look at prayer. So also dealing with our devotion to God. So Luke has these in this order. So I wanted to look at it again for that reason. Uh, but also, I wanted to look at it again because every single one of us can relate to this tiny little passage. Uh, right, this, this targets an area probably where most of us feel a lot of guilt. We wish we were Mary, but most of us live like Martha. Most of us identify with Martha. And so that targets us at a place where most of us probably feel the most heat. 
But then really the main reason that I wanted to revisit this passage is because Jesus says one thing is necessary. Now, when was the last time you heard an important person say, all you need to know is one thing, just one thing? Right? Have you ever been to Disney World or Six Flags or even the county fair? Right? Um, now, they find a creative way to say it, but in order for you to be safe, right, stay in the car, keep your arms and legs inside at all times, don't stand up, don't use flash photography. Right? It's always several things. There's not just one thing. If you've ever tried to play a sport, as much as, uh, as, much as the professionals make it look easy, there's never just one thing. You ever tried to golf? Right? There's not just one thing. There's like 675,000 things. And if you don't do all of those things, that tiny little white ball is not going in that hole. Right? There's never just one thing. Driving a car. There's not just one thing. There are several things. Now, you do them long enough and they become kind of second nature, though some of you need to work on that second nature part. You may need to try a little bit harder. Um, put the phone down. Um, we coach uh, we coach youth sports. We play youth sports. We play soccer. We coach soccer. Um, and one of the things that you'll usually hear, particularly when kids play sports, it's like, and it's usually right there in the pregame speech, right at the very end. Hey, just go have fun. No, right? Nobody actually believes that we're just going to go have fun. Because in order to have fun, you have to win. I know we don't like to think that way. I know like, well, kids don't really care about winning. No, they do. Just watch their faces when the other team scores on them repeatedly. Okay? They want to win too. It's not just the coach, it's the players as well. And so it's more than just the one thing of having fun. In order to have fun, we have to learn how to dribble and pass and shoot. We have to learn which part of the foot to kick with and which part of the foot not to kick with. So there's seldom just one thing. And so when someone as important as Jesus says one thing is necessary, it is worthy of our attention. So let's look at this tale of two sisters and see what they have to teach us about loving God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. First, I want to talk about what pulls us away, and second, who it is that should draw us back. Let's start with Martha, or uh, where most of us are. The key description of Martha comes in verse 40. It says that she is distracted with much serving. Distracted with much serving. That word distracted only occurs here in the New Testament, and it literally means to be pulled away. Or dragged around. Now, can you resonate with that? Right? How many of you feel dragged around by the different things that you must accomplish in a given day? Right? How many of you feel pulled in different directions? Right? So you start the day saying, I love that an elementary schooler just raised his hand. Okay, that's where we're at. Um, right? You start the day by saying, this is the thing I'm going to get done. But then you go over here. And then we look at that. And then that catches our attention, right? That's, that's the day. Always pulled away, always dragged around. And, and clearly this is not just a 21st century problem. 
And yet our world enables us to be far more distracted with far less important things than we maybe have been ever before. Now, I do want you to notice this, that Martha is distracted with much serving. Martha is not lazy. She is a good woman. She loves Jesus, right? We learn that from the Gospel of John, that Martha is dedicated to following Jesus. She gives a beautiful confession of faith in John's Gospel, right? So she's she's not lazy. She's not twiddling her thumb. She's not chilling in a hammock, reading the latest novel. She's not binge-watching Stranger Things. She's not browsing her Instagram feed for the 16th time in an hour, okay? That's not what Martha's doing. Martha is serving, She is busy working for the benefit of others. And that is commendable. In fact, just look at how much busyness there is in chapter 10 of Luke's gospel. Most of it taken up with the mission of the 72. That Jesus sends these people out and they work hard. They're teaching, they're healing, they're casting out demons... Uh, then we get the parable of the Good Samaritan who works hard to take care of another human being to save a man's life. And so busyness in and of itself is not necessarily a bad thing. You can be busy serving. So serving others is something that the Bible commends and commands. And you know what? Some of us need to hear that. Work is good. Serving is good. And you might be a healthier, happier person if you got out of the house more and looked for more ways to actively serve other people. Well, but you know, I do need to take care of myself. I know that's a common refrain that, that we hear. And I realize that's a, this is a much longer conversation dealing with specifics in people's lives. So when I say this, I don't want you to hear me being cold and callous, but If by that you mean that you are the sum and center of your personal agenda, that you come first, then you are in stark disagreement with God and the Bible. That Jesus' first order of business never seems to be take care of yourself. Uh, Rather, we hear the Bible say a couple of times, to give is better than to receive. And that's not just talking about our money, it's talking about our time. In fact, Jesus himself says that losing your life for his sake is where you will find it. And so the giving away of our lives is where we gain. And so what's the problem, right? If work is good, if serving is good, those things are good, but they are not best. And that's what Marcia, uh, Marcia, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. That's what Martha's issue is. She is busy doing things that are good, but she is neglecting the thing that is best. Or as Jesus puts it, the one thing that is necessary. Martha's busy working for Jesus, but she's actually missing Jesus. Did you notice that? She's, she's doing all this running around, getting the food ready, making sure everything's in proper place and in order. She's, she's doing it all for Jesus, but she's not actually listening to Jesus. Which begs the question then, is she really doing it for Jesus? She may be working out of her gifts or her personality type, 
but she's not working out of her relationship to Jesus. And that's her problem. And what are the results? She's miserable, right? She's worried, number one. Jesus actually says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. You've been there, right? Uh, all, all this, all this worked up anxiety over all the, the long to-do list. I mean, if I, if I ask you tomorrow morning, what's your goal for the day? How many of you would say, well, I'm looking to be anxious and troubled about many things? No, said no one ever, right? And yet we end up there, right? Worry is never at the top of the list, and yet it's how many of us live as we scamper from one thing to the next to the next, and then finally just collapse in front of you two before we drift off to a restless sleep, right? She is worried. She's also angry with her sister, right? She wants... You, you, can, you can almost envision, uh, if we want to modernize it a little bit, that you know Jesus is out in the living room with people gathered around and, and Martha's in the kitchen. She's just kind of staring out the crack in the door while she's waiting on the, the pot to bubble over back here. And she's just fuming at her sister, you know, like, I can't believe she's sitting out there. She knows how hard I'm working, right? See, when we miss Jesus... Even in our service, we start getting angry with others for not serving the way we expect them to. She's worried. She's angry. She's even disrespectful to Jesus. Look at verse 40. Notice the irony of what she says. She calls Him Lord, a term of respect, and then says, Don't you care? So, she calls him Lord, but then implies that he doesn't care. And then, she goes on to give him an order. So, go tell my sister to get in here and help me. Lord. Right? This is what happens uh, when we begin to miss Jesus. We become so blinded by our out-of-control activity that we actually start commanding Jesus to work for us. Right? That's where... That's where Martha is. This is the result of a, of a distracted heart, a heart that's been dragged around and carried away. So how does Jesus remedy that? How does Jesus remedy... Uh, what's, what's His remedy for us when we're being pulled away? And this is the second point. Let's look at who should draw us back. Notice that He approaches her... Not with exasperation, but with compassion. Martha, Martha. Right? She's, she's got her foot on the gas pedal, man. She is gone. And, and it's as if Jesus just, with those, with those, with that repetition of her name, just puts his hand on her shoulder and says, whoa. Whoa. Bring it back just a little bit. Right? And then he points her, to the one thing necessary. He says, you're, you're pulled away. You're distracted. With, with so, you're worried and anxious about so many things. Only one thing is necessary. And what is that one thing? It is the one thing that Mary is doing. She is sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to Him. 
Which, by the way, for a first century woman to be allowed by a rabbi to be in the the posture of a disciple tells us that Jesus is altogether different. Um, This would not have been expected or even approved behavior. Um, But Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet listening to him. That's it. Right? Mary, Mary has made listening to Jesus her first priority. That's why we call it devotion. She's devoted herself, which means she's, she's made a choice. She said, this will come first. And if something comes first, that by, that by definition means that everything else must come second or third or fourth. I remember, um, uh, when we were in seminary, uh, the, the president's wife said something to, uh, to my wife, to a, to a group of gathered women one time. She said, use your no to guard your yes. So you have to determine, okay, what, what are the things I'm going to say yes to? And then use your no to guard that. Don't say yes to everything and don't say no to everything, Right? Use your no to guard your yes. Mary's using her no to guard, to say yes to sitting at Jesus' feet. And so the, the remedy for a heart made miserable with distraction, this is going to kind of sound crazy, is to spend time with the Lord. It sounds really, really simple, I know. And obviously the whole day isn't spent reading the Bible, Right? Um, work has to be done, clients need to be responded to, calls have to be made, emails have to be answered, things that are broken have to be fixed, the house needs to be cleaned, kids need to be taught, meals need to be fixed. All of that's true. And all of that's okay. But at some point we have to say, if we're going to grow in likeness to Jesus, if I'm not going to be just harried and driven crazy by the to-do list... The only, thing that, the only thing that's going to last forever is my soul and Jesus. So maybe I should spend at least a portion of my day doing what I will be doing forever. I'm not going to have to chase my kids around forever. Some of us mourn the, the loss of those days and some of us are like, may it come quickly. But um, I will be with Jesus forever. So maybe I ought to spend at least a portion of my time doing that. We can get up early, we can silence the devices, and we can assume Mary's posture of sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to Him. Now, there's a trap we have to avoid when we do that, though, right? That we kind of have to avoid the, the legalism trap. Uh, especially for those of us, like myself, uh, who define their life by doing. Right? My, my wife by now can almost tell you, like if I come home in a bad mood at the end of the day, it's primarily because I did not accomplish enough. I did not check enough things off the list. If there's still something on the list, whether it was 20 things or two, if there's still something on that list, Kevin is not happy. Right? So for those of us who define our lives by doing, we have to avoid the legalism trap, right? This idea that, that you know, if I, if I just block off 15 minutes in the morning to spend with God, then He's going to be happy with me the rest of the day and everything's going to go great. That is not 
the promise here. It's not what Jesus is saying, right? What's happening when we do that is we're actually making Jesus another box to check, right? We're just, we're making spending time with him like, okay, done that, great, we can move on. I've got, I've spent my 30 minutes now, let's tackle the rest. So, if Jesus is not saying, read your Bible every day for 30 minutes or God will smite you, Jesus is not saying that, what is he inviting Martha to do? What is he calling Martha to do? And I want you to notice, right, we want a new law. You want me to just tell you, if, you'll, if you will read your Bible and pray for 30 minutes every morning, you'll be a better person. I can't do that, right? Uh, we want a new law, but Jesus points us to himself. Jesus points Martha to himself. Notice the relational terms. He doesn't give a list of activities. Notice the relational terms. Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet listening to him. She's listening to the Lord. Lord is actually used three times in this short little paragraph. That term Lord. And basically what that tells us is that one of these sisters is treating Jesus as Lord and the other one is not. Right? So look at Mary's posture. What would it look like for you to do that in your life? Maybe it's not, I know for some of you it's even dangerous to get down that far. So maybe it's not that. Right, but what would it look for, what would it look like for you to assume Mary's posture before the Lord? Right, she's not there to check a box. She's just there to listen to Jesus talk. What would that look like for us? And then notice what Jesus says in verse 42. Last sentence, Mary has chosen the good portion. The good portion. What does that mean, good portion? Well, we talk about portion control, don't we? What is the good portion? This is a meal. Jesus is telling Martha, who's getting all the portions ready, that Mary has chosen the best meal. Mary has chosen to feast herself on Jesus. And that will never be taken away. Right? It's so fitting, I didn't tell him to do this, but it's so fitting that we sang that song, Satisfied. That's the heart of devotion. Right? That's why, that's why we open the Bible in the quiet moments of the morning. It is to be satisfied in Jesus. It is to stir our hearts up. It's not, it's not to check a box. It's to come to know the one who is our God and Savior. And when Jesus says this, he's just echoing the Old Testament. Words like Deuteronomy 8.3, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Psalm 16.5, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. Psalm 73.26, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. God is the good portion. Do we come before Him ready to feast and enjoy? Or as Jesus says of Himself in John 6, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to Me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in Me shall never thirst. Do you want to know what it's like to have an anchor in a raging storm? Do you want to know that in the midst of all of the serving and craziness of a frenetic life, what it means to have peace?
then feast on the one who came to bring peace. Come to Jesus and satisfy yourself in Him. Let's pray. Lord, it's easy to get busy. It's easy to go crazy. But God, we just pray that You would enable us, that You would draw us to Yourself, that as we feel pulled away by so many things, God, that You would draw us back into Your goodness, draw us back into Your grace. Help us to see that You are the one who has come so that we can be satisfied. And that until we satisfy ourselves in You, we won't be satisfied with anything else. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I do want to recommend, before uh, we stand and respond with giving, I do want to recommend one book to you, Crazy Busy by Kevin DeYoung. It's a great short book. In fact, he says, a mercifully short book about a really big problem. Uh, crazy Busy. And so, uh, actually, this is, this is my copy, which means it has notes and stuff in it. But if you would like to borrow it, first come, first serve. If, uh, if you don't get to it, I would highly recommend Kevin DeYoung's Crazy Busy. Let's stand and uh, sing and respond to God with the giving of our gifts.